Okay, hi folks and welcome back to another Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. This is another special edition for the EPIC Summit that's taking place in the UK in uh, May 2015. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the podcast. But um, my guest today is a very well-known, um, I shall use the word lightly, character, uh, Brett Contreras. Welcome. Hey, can you hear me? Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, yes. it's good. Yeah, <laughs> It's funny, every time I get guests on, there's this sort of uncomfortable silence, and I'm like, oh my God, where have they gone? Um, so, uh, Brett, let me just um, have you tell folks that are listening a bit more about yourself. Um, I, I've obviously mentioned your name, which is always a good start in these things. I, I know a little bit about you and your work. I've been following uh, a lot of your writings, and I've read some of your publications in um, the NSCA journal and I've watched some of your videos and and various other things. I know that you're a practitioner and a doctoral uh, researcher currently so you're very much like me Um, but you work in a very different field from me of course and your area of concentration. I'll I'll let you describe yourself to the the listeners quickly. So so, uh, in a nutshell who are you? So I probably spend the most amount of time on my blog. I I try to come out with a, at least a few good blog posts every week. So I would I consider myself a blogger and a teacher first. But I'm also a, a, a researcher. I'm getting my PhD. I've, I've been on 22 different peer-reviewed articles at this point in time. Yeah. Um, I am a lifter. I... I'm not a good power lifter, but I train with some very strong ones, and uh, I my I spend a ton of time in the gym, training myself, uh, lifting with my training partners, and then training other people, and uh, I think that's essential for people like us who mm. are you know who who study a lot. You can become a little too esoteric if you're just uh, you know diving into the books and not keeping yourself grounded with the practic- the practical side of things. And uh, I, I guess I'm a lifelong student because I'm always up, up late at night studying and pulling up journal articles and I, I, love, I love the research. Ah, you're, I see you're joining the, uh, the, uh, the research committee that should be studying the power of sleep for recovery and health. <laughs> But you're up, you're up all night, not sleeping. I uh, I, I found a uh, uh, there was a study that came out talking about uh, how more intelligent people tend to be night owls, and that made me feel better about myself. Hey, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to get that study. I've got to show it to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, actually, that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about. As I was discussing off air, I know you're going to be uh, presenting at the um, Epic Fitness Summit here in the UK in May next year Um, and the title of your um, presentation um, at least what's written in front of me here is the art and science of hypertrophy training marrying physiology with biomechanics and psychology and whilst I I don't aim for us to get into all of those areas in this podcast um, and many because as I mentioned off air also that the, I guess the main focus of my podcast tends to be in the area of performance nutrition 
um, physiology, um, you know, metabolics, that sort of thing. Um, but it's very important that we don't focus on the little things all the time. And as, as, as significant as things like nutrition can be to um, adaptations to training and recovery and hypertrophy, and we've done loads of podcasts and all that stuff, and obviously, you know, protein and lactic acid and all these things are all, these are all things that we could get into. But it's the importance of the integration of these different things, like, like the title of your, your talk. So, I mean, can you just give us a quick overview, um, in a nutshell, if you can, why you felt that you wanted to, to sort of talk about all of those topics in one context? So, so this is something that kind of paralleled with my realizations as a personal trainer and also in the research. So I, along, you know, over, over the past few years, I always write about biomechanics. That's my thing. It's, it's funny because I'm really good. My, one of my best buddies is Brad Schoenfeld. Oh yeah. He's been on, he's been on a few times actually. Yeah. So, so he's all about, you know, the physiology of hypertrophy and, and it's funny because I, I have a research review, so I, it's p part of my job is to pull up articles. And so I go through around 100 journals every single month, and I, I download the best, what I feel are the best articles. I don't think there's anyone in the field that goes, that visits more journals than I do. <laughs> and I'm always coming across, you know, I'll come across detailed articles on the mTOR pathway and, you know, whatever, I, you know, mechano growth factor and sure. my and these things. And I have my go-to experts, so I send these articles to, to Brad. Mm. You know, I make sure he has all of the latest articles because I need him to know everything about, you know, the, physio the, the, the specific physiological pathways involved in hypertrophy and all the different, you know, uh, mechanisms involved because he's my go-to guy for that. But I have go-to guys for everything. Uh, you know, the nutrition, I like Alan Aragon mm. and, and, and with pain, I have a guy named Jason Silvernail and I have my go-to guys that I reach out to, but biomechanics is the, the, that's the area that I love studying and the, the, that's the area that everything clicks. When I read something, I remember it. You know, it, it's, that's not the case with everything else. I'll read, you know, the, the, the Krebs cycle and it goes in one ear and out the other. I don't, it doesn't <laughs> stick. But with, with biomechanics, it sticks and I retain it because I'm so interested in it and it makes sense to me. I'm a mathematical physics type person. Mm. So I always write about biomechanics and Brad and I clicked so well because I started studying the, the biomechanics of different exercises and how they're different, you know, with their torque angle curves or their muscle activation, things like that. And then Brad was studying the physiology of hypertrophy and the, the, the three primary mechanisms and, and it jived perfectly with my, my research about exercise. So he's talking about, you know, the three primary mechanisms being of hypertrophy being mechanical tension, metabolic stress, and muscle damage. And I'm sitting here realizing that some exercises are better suited for producing high levels of muscle damage or high levels of metabolic stress or 
you know, putting more tension on this particular region of the muscle than the other. And so that's why we've clicked so well and why we hit it off. Um, but there was one aspect that I, as a personal trainer, you don't write about these things a lot. Um, I can just think of some examples offhand. My dad. My dad used to train with me and he hated squats with a passion. He just hates doing them. Mm. So I would tell him, look, if you just do one set, one set of squats. If you beat what you did, and I gave him high reps because it's easier to beat your high rep record. That's kind of a, a you know determinant of, of willpower and, and effort rather than just you know true true actual strength gains. People can gain more strength at higher rep ranges when they first start out. So I had him do you know like a goblet squat with a thirty pound dumbbell and he, he got 20 reps. The next week I give him you know, 35 pounds and say he gets 15 reps. And then the next week I'm trying to have him do 16 reps and then 17. I said, if you beat your record, you only have to do one set. That's the deal. But if you, if you don't beat your record, you're going to have to do two sets. And so he hates squats so much he's going to beat his record. And so if, <laughs> if, if you beat, I mean, that's the whole story of Milo of Cretona, the old, you know, fable that we use to describe progressive overload that mm. this guy would pick up a baby cab and carry it around his shoulders and you know as the cab grew, grew bigger he grew stronger as well mm. and so you know we, we, we might read some of the you know like Krieger's meta-analysis on hypertrophy and volume mm. and come to the conclusion that you know three sets is ideal Whereas I only had my dad do one set, but arguably that's a better protocol for my dad because my dad hates squats. If he had to do three sets, he'd hate working out. He'd dread it. If he knows he can just do one, he's not going to dread as much. He's going to enjoy, enjoy his program. Mm. On the same hand, you know, I can think of clients who loved, who, who, who had a, you know, they know that spot reduction, deep down they know it's a myth, but they don't like the way a certain muscle looks you know, or a certain area of their body looks, maybe they store too much fat there, they want to do an exercise that works the area underneath. It makes them feel better about it. For example, maybe a woman who has flab on the back of her arms or something like that. She wants to do a triceps isolation exercise. And if we're very hardcore about, no, it's, we only do compound movements, um, she might feel like she's not getting that area worked out sufficiently. Whereas if you throw in a, you know, rope cable tricep extension, or for a guy who wants biceps, throw in a, some curls at the end of the workout, it's going to make them feel better about their workout. And so <clears throat> that's how I have always operated as a personal trainer. But I started stumbling across research talking about some of this stuff, believing in your program, being confident in your program, the placebo effect with different things. Um, for example, people who are told something and they actually see better results. For example, if you're told that you're on some supplement or anabolic steroids, even if you're not, you will see better results. Yeah, we just so, done a podcast all about that, actually. Um, so uh, good good comment there, yeah. So that's what I... and and. and you can relate to this because there's a lot of parallels with the, the field of nutrition and, the, and personal training uh, or program design in the sense that we can have our, our ideals, 
and we can we can have in theory what's best but we have to adapt it to the client so you can know that this is the best possible diet but this particular client will not stick to it so you have to work with them to figure out what works best for them based on their psychology at the moment mm. it's interesting isn't it that as a practitioner one particularly when you've been doing it for a few years you rapidly realize that the the you know the art and science and the rocket science it's incredibly important but it's not as important as the ability to understand your clients you know needs and desires as a as a driving factor behind what they're doing and and i guess it's one area i mean it'd be interesting to see how you feel about this i think you've hinted at it already so i can guess what your answer would be but you know whatever whether we want to take a more physiological approach or a more biomechanical approach few people consider the psychological component behind all of that do you feel that psychology is a massively neglected area in in the training and education of practitioners within strength and conditioning absolutely and it's it's you know to me that the best program for somebody is is going to be uh, one that they're highly confident in and so if you if your program doesn't meet some of their preconceived notions now I'm not saying you can't educate them and work on them over time but initially if they you know if they love their Pilates or something like that and your or their yoga and you're telling them that yoga is stupid and just do strength training and avoid yoga you know what's the harm in having them letting them do yoga twice a week while adding in strength training so they don't they're not worried to death that they're going to neglect something and as they see better results as that it's a relationship between the personal trainer and, and the client when they start seeing better results they start working with you more they have small successes they start trusting you more and more and so after a period of six months my clients would walk up a cliff if I told them to but it doesn't start off that way I have to build that rapport with them yeah. and so you work with them and you educate them and you you know little by little but you don't start off you know let's say they're at A and they need to get to Z you don't need to get them from A to Z overnight you need to get them from A to B and then B to C and then, you know, ultimately from Y to Z. So, um, now I, you know, I'm a, a, a reader of your strength and conditioning research review um, and um, with Chris Beardsley. I think it's a great uh, product that you guys put out there in the same way that Alan Aragon's research review is excellent. Um, um, I, I will admit that I spend more time in... Um, uh, the reviews by Alan just because it's more on nutrition and physiology and I love Brad Schoenfeld's um, contributions and all that but given the likes of you and I are into this sort of thing and obviously we're really getting into the rocket science behind this and that's the reason for the Epic Summit of course is to, is to get um, educated practitioners in with a, a, a strong base and foundation in the sciences and the quote-unquote evidence-based, which which is a slightly abused term because that in itself doesn't necessarily mean the right thing. But 
would you you know what what I know it's impossible to sort of partition this into percentages and so on but but for those that are really starting to get into these things and of course one of the wonders in the last 10 years is the emergence of the internet and social media and accessibility to research reviews such as yours and Chris Beardsley's and Alan Aragon's and the new examine com review and all that you know these things are starting to become popular the danger of course is that that practitioners will spend too much time um in the research reviews well as a successful practitioner i know you spend a lot of time doing your blogs and so on but you've reached a certain point where you're teaching other people and 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 influencing other people what what i mean what would you say is is a, a sensible way to approach the use of these tools and what we've just discussed in terms of psychology and so on. I mean, um, I, I mean, hopefully you understand where I'm going with that. But it, 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 it's you know, where's the healthy balance with all these tools and resources for practitioners, personal trainers, that sort of thing. So let me give you my answer, and at the end, you tell me if I answered you <laughs> sufficiently. Yeah. Okay. There's a, a, I would say in in some parts of the world. Uh, research is more accepted. It's it's um, you know when I was in New Zealand for a year, mm. what I loved is all the coaches, the strength coaches, highly valued research. You know they're the uh, All Blacks, All Blacks uh, strength coach, um, the All Blacks are their rugby, rugby team. Yeah, yeah. They won the World Cup while I was there. Mm. Um, the, their coach has his PhD in the research, but he's also in the gym with them all day long. But they all value research, and it's nice to when you have a conversation with someone and you realize they're they're evidence based. They don't make a deal a big deal out of that's just the, to them a good practitioner. You know, they're a rugby culture. They grow up playing rugby. They grow up lifting weights. That's the so what separates the best from the mediocre ones are the ones who are more educated. Yeah. Now, I think in the U.S. you have this. This thought from a lot of the U.S. Uh, strength coaches that you're either, it, it, and this is a, a, the, the, the false dilemma um, uh, uh, um, it's a logical fallacy. That this is not, it's, you're, you're either a research nerd or you're uh, in the trenches strength coach. One or the other. There's no in between. There's no, you can't be both. And so you either have all your knowledge working with athletes in the gym and you've you know learned your knowledge from talking to other coaches or you're just some research geek that spends his time reading journals and you're all esoteric with no you know no practical reality you wouldn't know how to coach your way out of a wet paper bag if you were you know had a dozen athletes sitting in front of you and the truth is you're going to be the best the 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 best you can be by spending adequate time uh, in in the gym and also reading research. And if you aren't leaving yourself any time to read research, then you're not going to be your best. You're not going to change the way that strength training is done if you don't appreciate the science. Um, and so, like, take me for example. I discovered all these glute exercises. I wasn't always into the science as much as I was. I was a more of a practical, you know, practitioner type. Mm. We try convincing people to switch over from doing this to this, 
and all of a sudden you're met with a lot of questions that you can't answer. And so I had to d dive into the science more to popularize my methods. But, uh, you know, it, the problem is it takes time to become a good scientist. You can read an abstract, you don't know what the heck a lot of it means. You, you gloss over the statistical analyses because you don't know what the heck these statistical tests are and you don't know what these, you know, uh, Bonferroni correction is, and you know you, you you don't know what an effect. What okay, this is the effect size. Is that good? Is that bad? You don't know any of these things, so you just kind of rely on the author's conclusions. You don't know how to critique the methodology real well, hmm. and it takes time. And and you know just like oh, just as it as it takes time to be a good weightlifter, it takes time to be a good personal trainer. It takes good you know a lot of time to be a good scientist as well. So. A lot of the people don't want to put in the effort, and it, it pays off. It pays dividends in time, and I can speak from personal experience that I have, you know, dove into the research over the last several years. It's made me a better personal trainer. It's made me better at what I do, and I, I can't describe how often this happens. But uh, you know, I'll be training somebody, and you know, I'll I'll be whatever. Maybe I'm testing their range of motion and. I, I know what normal range of motion for you know the hip is, whether it's hip extension or hip flexion or whatever. I know what's normal, and so I know what's abnormal. I, I can think back to you know this study that said this, and this study that said this, and this study showing what limits it. And I might be thinking this person might have you know FAI, femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. And I'm not going to have them squat deep because they're butt waking like crazy. So I'll try, I'll give them these drills to work on, but I'm not going to have them do rock bottom full squats because I, you know, and that's maybe something you could learn at a seminar. But uh, a lot of the times the things you learn at seminars aren't correct. They're just some expert's opinion. It's better for you to be the expert and form your own opinion. Sure. Yeah, I, I like to, well, I mean, in fact, there's, I've got a couple of thoughts from what you said. By the way, you answered that well, thank you. Um, I, I, firstly, I think that in our education, I believe in, in education and certification, um, you know, so we need the degrees and we need the professional certification because they both have sort of different benefits, but we need them both. Um, but I would certainly like to see education delivered in things like physiology biomechanics and so on but also we need to have a section in there which is in the certification of how to actually critically appraise information we're being given you know how to read a paper and so on I, I mean you don't necessarily need to know covariates and bivariates and you know and so on but you do need to know what a p-value is you do need you know you need there's basics that people need to say and of course like like you say people just tend to be abstract readers don't they and so one can want to delve into reading papers in science but if you don't really know how to understand the value of that paper either as quality science and or as relevant to you and what you do um, does require a bit of training and education of course and I'm, I'm the same I mean I, I was a strength and conditioning coach for I've, I've been doing what I do for about 22 years now but I was an S&C coach for about 10 years and then I became a physiologist and then a nutritionist in the latter 10 years. Um, but it's not until I started doing my master's degrees and then doctorate that I truly understood what you're saying. Um, and it, it took a long time <laughs> to, 
took a long time, but I did, you know, I learned a lot of stuff in the real world. And uh, one of the things that I guess that I try and pass on to my students is this idea that, that these seminars, these papers, these courses, these educational things are all tools in the toolbox. Um, but you still need to know, you, well, you need to have a decent toolbox. You need to have a variety of tools, but you need to know not only how to use those tools, but in what scenarios to use those tools and to use them properly and well and you've got different situations where different tools will work and you know there's all kinds of ways of working with that analogy but um which is why constant education before you ask the next question i want to i want to jump in here because you're talking about how the the average person needs to learn how to interpret research Mm. which i agree but here's another problem that i've never i don't really hear people talking about much is that even when you publish research it's Mm. the most annoying thing in the world dealing with peer reviewers and even I'll tell you I have (laughs) when I publish my studies I I work with uh, with uh, so you mentioned Chris Beardsley earlier he helps me with my studies he's on my papers with me Mm. so is Brad Schofeld so is my supervisor John Cronin and so is my intern Andrew Vygotsky and these are four of the smartest people I've ever met in my life they are the most I can't even begin to tell you how much I respect these individuals and how much they inspire me because they are you know in my opinion world class individuals who are at the top of the game in what they do even my intern he's the smartest he's 22 years old and he's the smartest 22 year old I've ever met uh and and they all improve upon my my articles, but mm. they will all disagree on something. Mm. Then send it to a peer reviewer, and they they say, no, you need to do this statistical analysis, and the other says, no, this you need to do this statistical analysis, or this is the way you no know, this information belongs in this section. Mm. And there, it's funny when you'll have three peer reviewers that you need to satisfy, and two of them will give conflicting. Uh, feedback and you're going so how can I please both of them when they're both telling me to do different things <laughs> research is not a black and white talk to talk to any statistician you know, talk to three of the best statisticians and they'll all tell you a different way to analyze your data yeah. and no, uh, so right. it's you're even right. the experts need to know, we need to have a consensus I guess there's an art to research just like there is with, so right. yeah. with nutrition and there is to personal training. There's an art to research methodology yeah. that, you know, I'm not there yet. I'm not. This is not. I'm not the best in the world at this stuff. And so it's very confusing for me too. So well, it's the it's, it's the expert. I mean, it it's funny how that word expert is used, isn't it? Because I guess ten years ago I kind of thought I was an expert, and ten years later, in a hell of a lot more education, I know I'm not an expert. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I love seeing people who like on Twitter or Facebook and they call themselves experts and they've done like a you know a three day course and they think right I'm an expert in this it's amazing but the um, no it, it's funny you should say that and that actually is something that is also unspoken particularly by those that that love to be purists about using research and you know and you know who I mean these are guys that are experts at cherry picking stuff um but i uh my group we just had a paper published this week actually and um boy did that get ripped apart by the reviewers fortunately it, it did actually help improve the paper and it, it it's an awesome paper i think and and i've got another one that's in review 
and that one's come backwards and forwards and it's like I, I, in this particular case I won't say which, which journal it is but I don't really agree um, it's very difficult to have to adapt what you're saying because then the quality of your paper can change and like you say the influence of the reviewer isn't always positive I mean there are of course many journals out there but the assumption by people is oh well if it was published it, it must be it, it's fact or it must be quality and no um, that's why we still need to learn how to read um, and review a paper and like you say um, learn to become you know an expert yourself and, 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 and make up your own mind don't, don't just work with the conclusions um, or the abstracts of the paper and that takes a long time to acquire that which is why I, I get my students to read um, things like the Alan Aragon Research Review um, i recently actually gotten to start reading your review because I think it's great um, it, it takes a lot of time and experience to learn to do this stuff and and sometimes the reviewers are, are excellent you know lab based scientists but they're not necessarily good at, at, at translating this into practice and, and that can be a difficult area so I know we could talk for ages about this in fact I've got, I've, I have covered this with various people um um, uh, this whole business of critical appraisal and so on and um, I think it's a an under-discussed topic um, but going back to this idea of marrying hypertrophy training and physiology and biomechanics and psychology and so on this this idea of of integration in a strength and conditioning context I, I would imagine since most of the listeners are working maybe more with what's called recreational athletes as opposed to professional athletes. I mean, is what would your advice be for those that, that want to develop their expertise as a practitioner? What are the sort of the cornerstones of, of their education in terms of strength and conditioning um, that you feel would be worth getting in the first instance? Uh, well... Difficult question, if, I know, but it, it's just uh, it's interesting to discuss this one. Yeah, if, if you're if, a lot of the stuff that I study, well, okay, this is going to be a challenging one to answer because <laughs> I will tell you, the, a lot of the people as a personal trainer it depends on your clientele. Yeah. Like most personal trainers work with overweight people, mm. and you can you can get better results working with their diets than you can just having them lift weights you know if they do a hard workout for an hour you know maybe they burn 500 calories that's not going to be that you can make more of an impact if they're eating 5,000 calories a day and you can get them to come down to 3,000 they're going to see way better results with just their nutritional you know um, you know plan that you implement mm. and so you cannot if you have to know the basics of nutrition and and you have to know how to motivate them and how to instill confidence in them and how to hold them accountable. So uh, is exercise selection so important at that point in time? No. Now, I will argue the people who come to me want glutes. And so if they don't get start developing glutes, they're going to be very annoyed with me. And so it's not always easy. The glutes are highly influenced by genetics. And so I can have one client whose glutes just blow up and another client who don't respond well. And so I exercise selection becomes very important for me. And, you know, to tell a, a, an 
a professional strength coach for a professional team that biomechanics don't matter and he'll laugh in your face because if you injure someone if you give them a risky exercise and they get injured you're out of a job mm. and so you have to understand how to modify exercises how to you know I've got this basketball you know center that I'm working with who's who's you know 610 or something like that 7 foot 1 and he's got his knees hurt him his low back he's got low back issues all right I can squat him still but we're going to do box squats where he sits back and has, keeps vertical shins or something you know mm. this is going to take pressure off his knees you, you you have to know these things now do you need to be delving into the research to learn that uh, no cuz you can learn that from other coaches and and from continuing education but I will tell you having spent years in the research the experts and the the traditional you know consensus is wrong a lot of times mm. and so that's why it's always best to for you to be the expert and you to understand these things better than anyone else but it, it takes time to get there so what you know how should people best um, allocate their time toward, you know towards towards becoming the best they can be you have to make studying a, a habit you have to make it a daily part of your life so we're all practitioners we do our personal training or our nutritional uh, counseling or our physical therapy or whatever we are and we spend our day job doing that and then when you have gaps during the day because most not most people in our field don't just have 12 straight hours of sure. appointment mm. you've got a gap there in the middle you've got your go-to sites that you go to you've got your blogs your webs you know your your online magazines and things like yeah, the teenage article every day. Is it always good? No, it's not. Sometimes it's not that good, but sometimes it's great. I go to a couple of blogs that I like to read, or I scroll up and down my Twitter uh, uh, and see if there's any. You know, I follow a lot of researchers, see if there's any good stuff. I have the journals that I like to go to, and then I pull those up. And then if I don't get to read them that time, I have them saved up in the you know minimized on a, on a tab. And so then I go back later that night and I read them. And it's a habit. I spend at least a couple hours a day reading. And it adds up over time. And you have to set aside that time. And initially it's not going to pay off much mm. because you're in the learning phase. But over time it, it gets more and more. It, you start understanding more and more of it. And after a couple years of this, you're an expert. And you can... <laughs> you can rip these people apart who you know who make these bold claims and things like that and so what areas should these people be researching they should be you need to know you need to kind of be a renaissance man you know you don't you want to have your niche and your area of expertise but you have to know sports nutrition you have to know pain if you're a personal trainer you have to understand pain because we don't always just work with healthy people who are perfectly you know, everyone is in various states of dysfunction, and the lines between physical therapy and rehab and strength and conditioning are blurred sometimes. And so, you have to have a rudimentary understanding of certain physical therapy principles. Not saying that we we are going to be physical therapists or nutritionists because there's a you know our scope of practice is limited in what we can do, but we need to understand these things. And that makes us better at what we do. So I think you should you should uh, study a wide variety of things, and it makes you better at what you do. Yeah.
and in psychology is one of them because the better you are at working with people, the better you can get into their minds, the more effective you're going to be. No matter no matter if you're a, a personal trainer, a strength coach, a sports nutritionist, or a physical therapist. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I, habit and behavior changes. It's a difficult one, isn't it? I remember from my PT days that, and this is pretty much the reason why I got into nutrition was because I'd be training people. You know, I'd be getting up at like three in the morning just to get to clients for like a five o'clock a.m. session, and I'd I'd be going for all of that and working with a bunch of people and working till midnight and so on. But I would see my clients maybe two, three times a week, and. Uh, they still weren't getting where they needed to because of the two or three hours a week of exercise they were doing. They were eating and drinking, you know, hundreds of hours. <laughs> and um, it, it was their habits and behaviors that needed to change, you know, and, and uh, it's a difficult one. But to go back to your your uh, main point there, I think the message there is, is, is we just don't stop learning. I mean, you just keep going forever and ever. And uh, that's why... Um, things like this podcast is uh, getting popular I guess it's an opportunity to learn whilst you're driving or um, on the train or going for walks or whatever Uh, when you're sitting in front of your computer on your laptop you can be reading research reviews Um, what's amazing now is you can get all your textbooks in Kindle or on your iPad you've got all your papers that you can download as PDFs there's a, a lot of journals are going down the open access route of course so you can get access to that, and obviously Wi-Fi is everywhere. So there, there are more opportunities to learn than there ever were before. And I think, I think I uh, completely agree with yeah. you. And you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. You never stop learning. I mean, what other option is there? You just yeah. stop and think you know it all. That's when you're dead in your tracks. And and there, there's never been a better time than now to be learning. And if yeah. there's a will, there's a way. If you want to learn science, you will. You've got all these things available to you. You know, you've got you know research reviews. Where, for example, Chris and I spend hundred. Yeah, still that. Yeah, for ten dollars a month, people can get it. You know, it's it's um no, it's a great, great value. Mm. So is Alan's. I'm I'm a, a, a subscriber to Alan Aragon's research review. I love it. Mm. Um this is very different from ours. Mm. Uh we attack a ton of you know fifty studies a month. He'll just have a couple of guests come on and he'll look at like, you know, five studies and scrutinize them mm. and it's a great approach and mm. I, I love the differences between his and and ours. Mm. But the, the the research reviews you've got like you said, Kindle, you can be um, multitasking. You can be killing two birds with one stone. Mm. When you go on a walk, you can be listening to podcasts. When mm. you, um, you know, when you have downtime, you can be studying. You can print things off and have them in front of you. When you go to the bathroom, you can, you know, <laughs> pull out that study you're trying to to, to take down. So, yeah. I totally agree with you there. Yeah, obviously, uh, 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 and I know. I know, uh, I know some people are going to be thinking about the, the question of balance in life. And of course, you know, it's, um, it's important also to uh, have a better downtime. But I, I always feel that, that, you know, why waste time watching crap on TV or reading junk? You know, there's a place for it, of course, and, and so on. But, you know, you again, a lot of these people who claim to be experts when obviously 
we know they're not experts they don't you know they they're spending spending too much time on twitter telling everyone they're an expert when they actually could have been learning (laughs) um so look we're getting towards the end of this and i didn't want to end this this podcast without quickly getting into glutes uh i cannot let you get away with it so um talk to me um a little bit then um you know why why uh, i mean i i know you, you in one way sort of fell into this but what fundamentally why do you feel glutes is an important area for people to gain a higher level of learning on which is potentially an area that is under um, underappreciated. I know that obviously some people, maybe particularly women, uh, you know, I want great glutes, so I've got a great ass or whatever. But what? what how about the greater purpose of of having powerful, strong, functional glutes or whatever? I mean, why glutes? Well, I want people to have a greater appreciation. And it's funny because I got into this as a bodybuilder myself and working with clients who had aesthetics goals. Mm. It was never about trying to make people faster at sprinting or, you know, better at tolerating stress so they don't hurt their knees or back or it was never about that mm. uh, in the beginning. In the beginning it was I want I want more glutes myself and I want my clients <laughs> to get more glutes. Right. And you can go to my blog and click on the testimonials section and scroll up and down. And I've got like a hundred and some pictures, you know, a lot of them, like probably half of them before and after pictures that'll blow your mind. Mm. Clearly, these results weren't being seen in the days where we just did squats and deadlifts or lunges. When you add, we always do those in our program. Mm. But when you add in hip thrusts and back extensions and lateral band walks and you start doing a variety of rep ranges and you do your heavy work, your medium work and your light work for high reps and you get in all the metabolic stress and the tension and the muscle damage and you mix these variables together and you train from all the angles to hit the upper and lower fibers, when you do that, your glutes get bigger, they get rounder, but you also start noticing, oh my God, you can't believe what you hear as a strength as a strength coach and a personal trainer. You start hearing all these things. You start hearing, I notice when I, you know, uh, I was, I had a track and field coach and a baseball coach both tell me this last week. Yeah. They told me, my, my, my clients will tell me, that, or my athletes will tell me, when they run to first base, they feel their glutes more like like they feel when they do a hip thrust. They're feeling their glutes engage more while they sprint. I noticed it when I was walking. I'd start noticing my stride length was increasing. I can just be in a and it's funny. We were walking uphill, me and my PhD students, when I was in New Zealand, and there one of them made the comment that my strides are double the length of both of them. And I said, Yeah, because my glutes are stronger than you guys. And <laughs> we all start laughing. But you start noticing little things like. You know, I, I used to get, you know, I'd have two, two clients in one day. Actually, no, this was a crazy day. I had three, three clients that I trained in one day, and all three of them mentioned to me. One of them was a mother and a daughter that came at different times, and one of them was a baseball player. All three of them said, hey, Brett, I used to get back pain every time I deadlifted, yeah. but now I don't. And another said, hey, Brett, I used to wake up every morning with back pain, and now it's gone. And the, the, the mom said... I used to, I hiked Camelback Mountain and I used to get back pain about three quarters of the way into it and now I never do. It, mm-hmm. it went away. I, I just thought it was a, 
something that you know I, I I didn't think it was unusual because that's just something I grew to live with. I thought it was something that you know you hike and your back's going to act up, sure. and now it doesn't. And the the other person, I said, how come you didn't tell me you had back pain when you started with me? And she said. I just thought it was normal way of life, you know. I always woke up with some some back pain. I didn't think it was I thought it was normal, and so you start hearing all these things, and you start hearing these people say, "I'm carrying," you know, these women saying, "I uh, the other day I carried every bag of grocery in, in in one trip, and I was climbing up stairs with them, with all these groceries, and I could do it." And it leads to increased confidence, and so. The, the function, the improved function leads to increased confidence and the, imp, the, the compliments they're getting on their butts from coworkers and friends leads to increased confidence. Mm. And then you get this upward spiral, I guess you would call it, not, you know, the opposite of the downward spiral. You get this upward spiral where they're happier, they're healthier, they're, they have a better attitude about training and their, their bodies and it just all, it, it's so important for so many reasons, in my opinion. No, that's, Fantastic. Well, look, um, we've run out of time, Brett. So um, I know there's a lot of different areas we could get into, and um, I've, I'm certainly looking forward to hearing you speak at the uh, Epic Fitness Summit, which um, folks can come to if you're in the UK. Highly recommend it, and all the other speakers, including many of the people we've been mentioning, actually. Um, and that's at the Body Power UK. Um, uh, event um, uh, in 2015, so that's May 15th, 17th. You can learn more about Epic Summit at epic-summit.co.uk. Um, let's make sure everyone knows how to find out more about you. Um, your own website is um, brettcontreras.com, isn't it? Yep, and if that's hard for people to remember, you can always just type into Google. Yeah, the glute guy, the glute guy, <laughs> and, you, and my blog comes. But that's what I'm known as, the glute guy. And from my blog, from brettcontreras.com, there's one T in Brett, by the way. From brettcontreras.com, right. I have all my social media linked. So I have a Facebook, I have a Twitter, oh, okay. I have Brilliant. a YouTube, I have an Instagram. I have all the things we talked about, the research review, and all those the books that I've written and things like that. They're all linked, that. so that's yeah. kind of the hub for everything. No, yeah, well, the uh, it's strength and conditioning research um, from my uh, memory. I was looking at it earlier, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it'll be um, a long time before you uh, pass away, Brett. But on your gravestone, is it going to have the butt guy, the glute guy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. You've left I'm an sure. interesting oh. imprint in the world, and of course, with social media. <laughs> And digital age being the way it is, this stuff will be available in the internet for years after we're all gone. And uh, yeah, yep. But I'm yeah. thinking right now, Thank like Brett Andrews, he cares <laughs> about your glute. You did. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. It's been great to have you here. I look forward to meeting you when you're there. Uh, do you ever go to any of the ISSN conferences at all? You know, I have not, but I actually got asked to speak this year. Is it, this year the one is in Florida, I think? Uh, no, that, that was, the, yeah, this past, so, so this year that's just gone now is um, was Florida, and then next year it's going to be in Austin, Texas. Oh, that's right. Mm. I got asked to speak at it, but it conflicted with my schedule, and or else I would have accepted, but I, I, I like the ISS, and I'm, I, uh, it's, Jose Antonio is the director, That's correct? right, yeah, he's the CEO, yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. him. Yeah. What's funny is he wrote, I think, the second best paper on hypertrophy in the year 2000 next to Brad's 
Right. Schoenfeld classic. He wrote one in 2000, 14 years ago, that's just yeah. legendary. And he's since gravitated towards sports nutrition, but I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, his PhD was in skeletal muscle plasticity. People forget that when they when they look at experts, you know. It's like Stu Phillips did, did, did loads of stuff on... Uh, other aspects of nutrition and hypertrophy. He's not just the protein guy, you know. And, and uh, well, most of are, most of the people know a lot about a lot of things, you yeah, know. I know. Well, you have to for the reasons we've discussed. So, yep. um, thank you, mate. It's been good to have you there. Um, that's the end of this uh, We Do Science Guru Performance uh, podcast, the Epic Summit Special Edition. Um, as I mentioned, you can find out more about the summit at epic-summit.co.uk. As usual, you can find out more about my podcast at guruperformance.com. And I, of course, am Laurel Bannock and look forward to bringing you another podcast very soon.